Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. I said good morning. You full of turkey still? Ham. The vegetarians in the room are full of sad things. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's fighting words. I'm sorry, Kenya. <laughs> You're a vegetarian. Anyways, it's great to see you all today. It's great to be here on this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, before I jump in, I want to say a, just a, take a moment and say how thankful we are for this body, Jess and I. That we love this church. We often pinch ourselves and we have this little phrase like we don't just love this church out of spiritual obligation, but we actually like this church. Y'all are awesome. Look around you. There are so many wonderful people in this room. We love that we're not just a, a, a body of butt warm, seat warmers, I should say. <laughs> uh, butts and seats and seat warmers got a little mixed up there. But we are participators in the gospel, right? And over the years, we've heard so many stories where this community has showed up and been the church for one another. And we've been there for one another when, when there's need among amongst the body. So thank you. We love you. We love this family and we are grateful for it. Y'all ready? All right. Well, today we are continuing our legacy, live generously, the generous life rather series. So let's pray and we're going to dive in. All right. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the most generous God that we cannot outgive you. We cannot we cannot outdo you in any way and that you are faithful to us. You are faithful with our seed. You are so kind and loving and good and we are just thankful for you. God, I ask that you would give us ears to hear this morning. I ask that you would help us to understand your word. You would help us to understand these principles today found in scripture. That was, we're about to open up your word. Lord, help us to understand. Give us understanding. We know that it's by your spirit we understand so would you give us revelation today to understand, to see you rightly. Just give us another peek, a new side of your face today. In the mighty name of Jesus, the church said, amen. 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 Well, awesome. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 1. Who knows the first three words of the book of Genesis? In the beginning. If you can memorize anything, you can memorize that, okay? I'm going to give you a little less time because it's a little easier to find. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, what did he say? Oh, y'all, come on. This is second service. And God said... Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the, that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This beautiful picture where the creator of the universe is doing what he does best. And he's beginning to create Humanity is beginning to create this world that we, so we get to partake of, we get to live on and be a part of. And here it is, the, the, the waters that they says the, is formless and you have the spirit of God hovering over the waters. And in this moment, he speaks over the waters and he says, let there be light and there's light. 
Beautiful, beautiful moment. And he takes this and he separates the light into dark, from darkness and light into day and night, morning and evening. And we don't have time to read this entire chapter this morning, but I want to summarize the next few days and then we're going to jump back in near the end, okay? On day two, God separates water from itself and creates the sky. On day three, God takes water and he gathers it into certain places, creating dry ground or land and the waters he calls the seas. On day four, God creates the moon and the stars and the sun in order to govern and continue separating day and night, light and dark. On day five, God creates living creatures in the seas and the birds in the sky. He creates them and he sees that it was good. And blesses them, saying in Genesis 1, verse 22, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Then on day six, God creates living creatures on the land, wild animals, livestock, all the animals that move along the ground. And then on the same day, and we're going to pick this up together now, in verse 26, this takes place. It says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to the beasts, to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. There you go, Kenya. We're talking about plants. And it was so, verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was good. I'm going to be in trouble for that later. God saw all that he had made and it was what? Very good. Come on, say it with me. Very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Then in Genesis 2 verse 1, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. I want to stop here momentarily and look at this. God creates all these wonderful things, light and dark. He separates uh, the sky and the seas. He, he puts the seas into certain places, creating land. He creates the birds. He creates the sea life. He creates the creatures on the ground. And he creates humankind, you and us. What a beautiful creator. Like, when's the last time? I mean, probably pretty often in North Carolina, but you just drove around and you're like, wow, God, you are incredible. You are amazing. And then when God sees these living creatures, in, in Genesis 1, he sees the creatures of the sea and the birds of the air. He sees that it is good, and he says, be fruitful and increase. And then in Genesis 1, after creating mankind in his own image, what does he do? Similarly, well, what does he say to them, rather? Be fruitful and multiply, increase. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature that moves on this ground. This is the original mandate for, for mankind. 
Come on, tell somebody you were born to rule. Born to, be, born to rule. My son's like, I was born to be wild. <clears throat> His middle name is Wild, so it's accurate. As I was studying these passages, that, passages this week, and as I was meditating on them, I was seeing this, that this, this command or this blessing to be fruitful and multiply, it's not just for humankind, but God also speaks it over the, the, the sea life, and he speaks it over the birds. And I'm pondering this thing, and I feel the Lord, I'm just asking him about it. And what I felt like he dropped in my heart is that which I delight in, I bless to be fruitful and increase. Psalms 18, 19 says, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because why? He delighted in me. Psalms 37 verse 23 says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. It is the delight of God that he's like, I must bless you. I believe this is important. This is important because God didn't just create us sort of willy-nilly. Y'all say that? Willy-nilly, like just on a whim. And we're somehow here purposeless and like, why am I here, God? What is the purpose? What is the purpose of all of this? He didn't create us because... He had some job for us to do. Sure, that there is that command that comes to rule the earth. But this wasn't the original purpose. It's as if God created man and he looked at him and he's like, I so delight in you that, my, that I must have more of you. It's important to catch this, that he's looking on that which he created. The creator is looking upon the created and he's saying, look at you. You're beautiful. I must have more of you. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number. And the very next command outside of this fruitfulness and multiplication is come. Rule. Enjoy. Have all these plants to eat. Have all this. God was caring about food right here. He's like, take all these things. Take this earth. Take this creation that I've given you and enjoy it. That he so looked with love upon us. The very next thing was enjoy that which I have created for you. You who is made in my image, come, rule over it, subdue it, steward it. And this legacy, this living a generous life, it starts, as Jess was saying, it starts in that place of recognizing that everything we have is a gift from the Lord. And when we live in this culture that says, I'm a self-made man, like, I, I earn this, I deserve this. You wouldn't even have breath in your lungs if it wasn't for the creator. You wouldn't exist, you wouldn't be here. You have survived wars and famines and plague because there is a God who loves you. There is a God who is good. There is a God who is kind. And you're here. You're being here. The things that you have, everything, it's not yours. It's his. It's a gift. Are you grateful today? We have been given generously and trusted through the original mandate to steward and enjoy the things he has given us. But this is an important tone. It's an important perspective for our lives. Because it's recognizing that we're created in his image. We are his delight. And he's given us the things in this world to enjoy, but they're gifts. They're gifts. And it's because of his great love for you. You know, an artist can create something beautiful 
and it will be beautiful. The Mona Lisa could be sitting in a barn somewhere and it would still be beautiful. But how much better is the Mona Lisa that all of us have been able to enjoy it, have been able to see it, have been able to look upon it? And, and maybe for you, that's not the epitome of art. Pick another piece. But that the, an artist has fashioned this thing and then the creator gets to enjoy that which the creator created. That the statue of David, Michelangelo, gets to be enjoyed. God's delight results in a blessing to be fruitful and to multiply. He delights in you and therefore he must have more of you. Isn't he good? He's good. Genesis 2 verse 2. God does something abnormal for us often in our human minds. And it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Justin was pointing out to me that the scriptures don't say here, then there was morning, there was night, the seventh day. Like, this concept of rest is endless. It's eternal. But let me ask you something today. Does, is God resting here because he's tired? Isaiah 40, 28 says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. So if God doesn't grow tired, why does he rest? And I believe that there's, there are beautiful principles here in the Sabbath rest for us. And I know we're talking about generosity, but I promise we're going to get there, okay? There's, there's beautiful principles here in this creation narrative. Five times God said it is, it is good. And once God says it is very good. And I'd like to propose to you today that he is a God who knows when it is good. He is a creator who knows... That which, that which is created is good. And this sounds simple, but it's important. He knows when it's not necessarily perfect, but it's good. It's very good. He knows when enough is enough. I heard, I heard a, uh, a podcast earlier this year, and the, the person was putting it like this. At some point, an artist, Michelangelo, with this statue of David, when he was chiseling out of that slab of stone, the statue of David, he knew that if he, if he was to take one more swing with that hammer onto that chisel, the statue would be ruined. That he knew, the artist, the, that the creator knows when enough is enough. When to stop and to say, it is good. It is very good. And to take a moment and rest not out of weariness, not out of tiredness, but a rest that is let me enjoy that which is created. Are you following me? And God looked at creation and he said, it is good. It is very good. And he took the time, let me enjoy this. Let me practice this Sabbath. God himself, like how important is this if God himself is partaking in this? Turn with me now to Exodus 31. 
Exodus 31, verse 12. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths, and this will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe this, observe the Sabbath, because it is a holy day. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. And those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. This is of great importance to the Lord. Do you, are you catching this? Verse 16, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Listen, in order to understand the weight and the significance of this moment, we need to take a second and look at the historical context for the Israelites receiving this. These were a people who had just fled from Egypt, who had finally been freed, who were generations after generations of slaves for 430 years living in Egypt. And they were a people as slaves who were told time and time again that your value is in what you can produce. Your value is found in what you can do. You are of no value to the Egyptian empire if you cannot make bricks. And sure, maybe the first generations, they, they whispered underground and they, they believed it. But as, as the next generations, as kids grew up in the society where they were born into slavery, generation after generation, this creeping, ungodly belief began to, to grow in their hearts. My value is in making bricks. My value is found in what I can do. My value is found in my work. Because if you can't produce bricks, if you can't work, if you can't be a good slave, then you can't protect your family and you can't provide for your family. And you're of no use to the Egyptian empire. And here comes the Lord. Well, let me say this first. The scriptures say this about the Israelites' time in Egypt. It says they were afflicted with heavy burdens and ruthlessly made to work as slaves, which made their life bitter. That's what the word of God says. But God frees them from their oppressors. He splits the Red Sea. They walk through it, and their enemies are swallowed up in the sea. And here they are, generations of slaves, and the Lord speaks to them and brings to them this holy day. And it's this picture of God's rest on the seventh day in creation, this Sabbath rest, that your identity is not found in what you can produce or what you can do, but your identity is found that you are made in my image. On that sixth day, I made you, I fashioned you into my likeness, and your sense of value and self-worth is not found in what you can produce or what you can do or how much you can hustle, but it's found in the fact that you are mine and I am yours, because I delight in you and all that I have is for you. Are you tracking? He's saying, listen, I am your contentment. I am your satisfaction. I am enough. You can trust in me. And I'd like to propose to you today that this Sabbath 
and creation narrative is in part leading us to this perspective of enjoying and stewarding the good in our lives whilst maintaining a posture of rest, gratitude, contentment, and satisfaction in Christ. It's a reminder that our identity and our purpose is not found in what we can do, how many possessions we have, how much stuff we have, but it's found in him. He's the God who knows when is enough, enough is enough. And when it's good, when it's very good. And so why am, I, why am I going this angle today for generosity? As I was pondering this, as I was asking the Lord, like, what, what, should I, what can I bring, Lord? I just, I, the Lord began to speak to me about this. And it began to hit me like, we will never learn to be generous if we cannot learn to be content in him. We will like, like, it will just go over our heads. If we cannot learn this godly principle found in Sabbath, found in creation of like to be content in Christ, to be satisfied in him, whether in, in, law, in a law or whether in lack, to find our satisfaction in him. Like we, we will not be able to be generous. You see, we live in such a culture of hustle. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The grind, right? If I can work hard, if I can just grind a little more, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be successful. If I can make a little more money, then I'll be generous. If I can get a bigger house, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll, I won't have any need anymore. If I can get that nice car, if I could get these toys or these possessions, if I can be slightly famous on social media... If I can do this, that, or the other, then I'll be happy. And there's this principle here to be content with him alone. That contentment doesn't come from that. Satisfaction doesn't come from that. It comes from him. See, the Sabbath day was not a day simply to refrain from work, but it it was not some passive day where you just took a nap, but it was this day of active reflection on God and on the things that he's done and the things he's provided for you. So it was this invitation to take an entire day of your work, uh, sorry, of your week, and to lay down, lay aside the things, the to-do list, the hustle and bustle, the checklist, and to say, let me feast on the Lord. Let me be content in the Lord. Let me look upon my life and say, God, I may not have everything, but you are enough, and I am grateful for what you have given me. It was this invitation to enter into a different mindset of gratitude and contentment and satisfaction. To acknowledge it's, it's not about what you do, it's about who he is. It's about his love for you. It was a day to remember that he is your provider, not man. Paul said this in Philippians 4, verse 11. He said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then Paul like throws it out there just so nobody can be like, but Paul, but you don't, you don't know. And he says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or whether hungry. When's the last time we were hungry? And I'm not just talking about like, I'm hungry for my next meal. 
whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Listen, the secret is Jesus. I mean, it will always be Jesus. We will never learn to be generous if we are addicted to the hustle culture. If we're constantly striving for just a little more and just a little more and just a little more, but it will not bring us happiness and it will not lead us to be generous like Christ. We will learn generosity when we learn to be thankful, to be content, to be satisfied in him. And listen, we need to stop subscribing to the ways of this world, to falling into the comparison game, to look at the things that others have, to fall into envy and greed and say, listen, I I want more. I must have more. I recently went out with our Embrace team and went to meet some of our friends and family in Durham, and there was one gentleman in particular that was like a a good just heart check for me. And he was just... The whole time we were talking to him, we were bringing some, him some food, and he was just praising God for his life. And you could tell, like, he meant it. And he was just thanking God and just saying, like, I could have it so much worse. Like, God is so good. He has blessed me so much. Like, and he was going on and on and on and on. And it's such a reminder, like, it's all about our heart. My son, probably about a month or two ago, we were talking about his soccer Jude loves soccer. He plays in the NCFC Juniors. And there was one boy somehow in particular we were talking about on his team. And we're saying, that boy's really good at soccer. And we're just having a casual conversation. And Jude just goes, yeah, it's because he lives in a mansion and he has an indoor soccer court. And I'm like... First of all, first of all, like, I don't even know if that's real, but second of all, if it is, this was just like my opportunity as a dad, and I'm digging deep, and I'm like, well, Jude, I'm like, you know, we can choose to look at the glass half full, or we can choose to look at the glass half empty, and I said, the reality is, Jude, we are so blessed. I said, God has given us so much. And I began to just tell my son, I'm like, God has given you parents who love you. God has put food on our table. God has given us this home. Like, we are so blessed, son. And I was a proud father the next day where, yes, you know, this conversation was obviously on his mind, but unprompted later, later in the day, the next day, he just comes up to me and he says, you know what, dad? He said, I am so thankful for our lives. And he just begins to gush, basically saying all the things I said to him the night before. He's like, I'm so thankful that I have parents who love me. I'm so thankful that we have food on the table. I'm so thankful that we have a house. No joke, this is like a real conversation. And I'm like, oh, bless. Lord, may, may he forever have this perspective. Because it, it is a conscious choice. In a world that will throw you the list of all the wealth and riches and they'll put them right here on your phone for you to stare at and lust over. And it's a conscious choice to say, God, I am grateful for what you have given me. And I myself have fallen into this. It's easy, right? It's so easy, especially people that are into like home stuff. A couple years ago, we're watching Studio McGee, we're watching a home renovation show, and you better believe by the time that show was over, everything in my house needed to be redone. 
Like we needed new furniture, we needed to knock down walls, we needed new everything. But it's just like, what are we consuming? What, who, who are we placing and what are we placing our eyes on? And this Sabbath invitation is place your eyes upon the world. Don't look to the things of this earth. Look to what the great creator has given you. He's so good. He's so faithful. We love this phrase, all of us, I mean, it's pretty common, but the grass is greener on the other side. But it's not long before you're, you're looking at that grass and finally you get on that grass. And then before you know it, you have a different vantage point and you see another plot of grass. And all of a sudden, the grass that you once envied over is looking dull. And it's not looking very nice anymore. And it's looking aged. And it's looking like, and you see, you find something else. You will never find satisfaction in the things of this earth. Because the temporary is not what we were created for. We are created for the eternal. Warren Buffett, one of the wealthiest men alive, famously said this. He was asked, how much money is enough money? How much wealth is enough wealth? And some of y'all might know this, but he's kind of pretty famous. But he said, just a little more. Just a little more. Because it won't satisfy. (laughs) It won't satisfy. And that hustle and that grind for just a little more, for more possessions, for more cars, for when things aren't suiting our needs. We can even do this with churches. This church no longer fulfills me and I'm just going to go get a new one because that one looks greener. I'm just being real, but church ain't about us. It's about him. And it's about where has God planted you to be the body. Anyways. But when will God be enough for us? And there's nothing wrong with wealth. Wealth isn't evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. So this, this is why we're going this angle today because it is a heart posture. You can have wealth, but are you living in the posture of he is enough? He is your Sabbath rest. He is everything. Or are you finding contentment and satisfaction in your stuff? I was thinking about Chick-fil-A. Shout out for Chick-fil-A, anyone? That's better. There was like two people in first service, and I was like, did we all collectively decide we're not into Chick-fil-A anymore? Or like, what has happened? Yeah, shout out to the play place. Where's all the parents of young children? Think about this. Like Chick-fil-A, at least this is how I imagine it, as believers have made a conscious decision to close their doors 52 to 53 days of the year to say we are going to reject the possibility for income 52 to 53 days a year. But it's this thing that flies in the face of my trust is in the Lord. My trust is not in how many days a week we're open. And so I read a secular article that said this. It said at $4.2 million per store, Chick-fil-A's average revenue is the highest of any fast food chain in America. Dwarfing both direct competitors, KFC at $1.2 million and bigger brands, McDonald's at $2.8 million. That's especially, this is a secular post, that's especially impressive considering that all Chick-fil-A restaurants are closed on Sunday. Do you love God enough to trust in him with your finances? 
that he is your contentment or do you love and trust money? We were not designed to live for ourselves. We were designed to live like Christ. The things of this earth are temporary. So let us love God, not money. Let us love the poor, not money. Let us love our neighbors, not money. Let us love ourselves, not the us that is rich and filled with possessions, but the us that is made in his image. Generosity starts from these Sabbath principles of contentment, of active thankfulness, and of resting in him as your provider. It's acknowledging that we are so blessed. It's, it's, it's taking a step back. It's slowing down in the hustle and the grind and saying, God, I'm so grateful you have blessed me and you have asked me to be a blessing. How can I be a blessing? And until we get that, until we truly believe it, we're going to struggle to be generous because we're going to be convinced we're in lack and we're just going to lust after more and more and more. He is your contentment. He is your satisfaction. That bigger house, that bigger car, that bigger thing, it will not satisfy. And it's easy sometimes to sit in a sermon and be like, yeah, I've heard that before. But I'm asking, like, how are we really doing? Because our hearts can slip a little. And it's not like a massive slip where all of a sudden, okay, we lost our salvation or something crazy. But I'm talking about just a heart slip where you're like, I am actually envying and lusting things, God, outside of you. And though I have need, Lord, you are enough. So that's the invitation this morning. And I'm talking about the whole picture here that we get to be generous with. We get to be generous with our time. We get to give others the light of day. What a beautiful thing we can extend to somebody, something so simple. But just as Heidi says, stop for the one. To stop for somebody, whether it's that coworker that you can't stand and you need your heart checked. <laughs> And you're like, and they're struggling with something and you get to show up and you get to stop for them and you get to show them the way and help them. Or Jess and her friends in high school, they, there was this guy that would always sit alone and they decided we're going to form this group and we're just going to, we're going to sit with him every, every day. And they would sit with this guy and it meant the world to him. And they just befriended him. We get to be generous with our lives to the poor. It's all through scriptures that we are actually called to be generous and serve the poor. It's in the Bible. And like, what are their tangible ways that we can, we can bless the poor? You know, recently this church showed so generously and we did that big tur turkey drive last week. And some of y'all served, some of y'all gave. And we want to say a huge thank you. And I'm talking about the collective us, all y'all, all of us, okay? This is part of all of our story. And we got to give turkeys and Thanksgiving meals to 900 individuals. So it's like, that, it, that's what it is to be the church. And it's not just, that's obviously a high kind of moment, more event-based thing, but I'm also talking about on a minutia level, right? Like, how can we stop? How can we, how can we love? Gosh, my, my biggest thing that I'm always like, I got to work on, Lord, help me, Lord, is that we're really bad at being inconvenienced in the West, Help me with my love of comfort. We get to bless our neighbors and the world around us, be the light of the world, spending time with them, inviting them over for a meal, telling them about Jesus. And finally, we get to bless others with our finance in your local storehouse and also so into missionaries, so into people that can go where you can't go. Unashamedly, I want to say that. I came from a family, a 
missionary slash pastor's kid. I moved something probably close to 25 or more times in my life. And it has often required more faith for me to listen to the Lord saying stay than it would have to go. And so I've, I've been here serving this church for 11 years, and God keeps saying, stay. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> That's not the point, but thank you. The point is, it, it's required faith, but there was, was an opportunity for me in that, is what I wanted to get at. There's an opportunity where I can, I can send my seed into those that can go when I've been asked to stay. And there's people, there's our faith lives in Iraq, working with refugees, Anyways, I'm not going to get into that. But there's an opportunity there for us. And, the, like, I'm not going to stop here too long because Jess preached a brilliant message last week. But this tithe, for me, it's such a beautiful test of trust. It's not a theological debate for me. I mean, we can go through the scriptures together. It's, it's an issue of trust for me because the temptation is, do I trust and I have these, these thoughts that that little 10% would be nice. And I start to imagine all the things I could do with that 10%. Y'all ever done that before? In the early days at least, like you imagine all the things you could do if you just had 10% more, just a little more. But it's this opportunity for me to remind myself, again, this, this principle, Lord, my trust is in you. That this is yours. It doesn't belong to me. I don't trust in my bank account. I don't trust in this 10%. I trust in the Lord to provide. And so for me, it's, a, it's an issue of trust. Do I trust in God? Exodus 23 verse 10 says, For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But this, during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Let the land, let the fields lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Even the fields, even the land were to rest. Every seven years. And there's even a principle I believe there. Because when you overplant in a field and you over harvest and you overseed and you get greedy, the soil begins to degrade and eventually die. And generosity flourishes when the soil of our hearts is devoid of greed. We can be generous because we understand that it is all his and everything that we've been given, we're so grateful for and it's a blessing. You see, this. I didn't even intentionally go this direction, but it kind of accidentally turned into Thanksgiving weekend message. The Bible says in Luke 17, verse 33, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will preserve it. When we cling too hard... Whoever loses their life will preserve it. Isaiah 58, verse 13 through 14 says, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day 
on holy day honorable. And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights and of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Giving our lives away is a beautiful joy to be discovered when we realize it's all his. Are y'all with me? We get to give our lives away to our children, to our spouses, to the world around us. We get to be generous with our time, with our finance. You know, when I read the story of the parable of talents, I think of our flesh and how we probably would have been likely to respond. We would have been the ones receiving less talents to begin with than the guy that received more. And we probably would have begun to work up a rhetoric of, God, but he got more than me to begin with. That's unfair. But that's like not even mentioned in the story. It's, it seems like a mute point. All that mattered was God has given talents and you're to be faithful with the little that you've been given. Because he's enough. <clears throat> and our gifts, our time, our finances, our very lives... We get to be generous with them as our talents. Would you stand with me? It's almost as if this message is an invitation into like just setting our heart right with the Lord. To, be, to find our contentment and satisfaction in him. We know that the source, the, the source of life matters. <laughs> if the source is bad, the well will be poisoned. And it's out of the abundance, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's just getting our heart right. And what I want us to do today, I want us to, to take some time. And yes, it's fitting and maybe a tad bit cheesy, but take some time and to practice this Sabbath principle of contentment and satisfaction and thanksgiving and gratitude. And I want us as a body to take a moment and to just thank the Lord for what we have. And I, I want to ask you to do this, to not rush it and to dig really deep. Spouses or families, you can do this together if you want or personally, but just take a moment and just lift up a thankful offering to the Lord. Let it be a holy moment. And maybe the best prayer you can muster, you're like, listen, I'm in need. But you can say to the Lord, I invite you to say to the Lord, Lord, I have great need. But I look to you. You are enough for me. You are my provider. And I thank you for what I have.
And once you've done that, just take a moment and ask the Lord, because it's from this heart posture that I believe generosity will begin to flow. And ask him, Lord, how can I be generous? You have so blessed me. How can I be generous with my life? Lord, are there any areas where I've been holding back from you? Is there a people you're calling me to serve or to pray for? Are there seeds financially you're asking me to sow? Are there people in my neighborhood you're asking me to stop for or at my work? Holy Spirit, come and lead us. Come and speak to us. Come and show us what that looks like for our lives. As we close, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you. We're grateful for you. And whether we practice Sabbath actively, which if you don't, I'd encourage it, or we just take these principles today, we want to say that you are enough for us, that we are satisfied in you today. We are content in you today. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that is our lives for all that you have given us. Looking not to the things that others have, but looking to you, and we just say, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. You are so good. Lord, I ask that you would help us, you would challenge us, you would lead us, you would convict us. If you feel bold enough to pray that prayer, convict us, Lord, when we might slip and fall in this area of greed and envy. Help us to be generous, to take up the charge, to be generous with our lives like you were Christ. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.